if we get to the point where everyone can control themselves and make decisions for themselves, then that doesn't leave any room for government to oppress us or for corporations to oppress us or for wealthy individuals to oppress us. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, you Liberty Lunatics, to the Lions of Liberty podcast, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. We've got another one coming for you today in this, the 207th episode of this program. That means you can find the show notes featuring links to everything we discussed today over at lionsofliberty.com slash 207. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an incredible, free market, affordable, legal alternative to your standard Obamacare corporatized insurance. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. All right, my guest today is a candidate for the Libertarian Party's nomination for president. I am pleased to welcome in Dr. Mark Allen Feldman. Dr. Feldman, the first thing I need to know is are you ready to roar? I am ready to go. All right. Now, Dr. Feldman, we're going to discuss your campaign. As I mentioned, that you are running for the Libertarian nomination for president. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit better. And I want to know just how you first gained interest in politics. How did you first begin to develop your political beliefs? Well, just to say how I started, I was uh, born and raised in uh, Washington, D.C. and around the city. I knew politicians personally. Both my parents were uh, in government. And uh, there was uh, never a politician I wanted to support. Uh, I didn't register to vote until I was 50 years old. I call myself an educated and engaged non-voter. It wasn't that I didn't care. It's just that I thought all politicians were liars. Growing up with uh, the Vietnam War, Watergate, uh, read my lips, no new taxes, and I did not have sex with that woman, Monica Lewinsky. And then uh, my recent favorite, uh, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. <laughs> You realize that uh, the problem isn't that politicians had principles that I disagreed with. It's that I felt they had no integrity. This is one of the things particularly I've said about uh, Barack Obama, that uh, before he became president, I was concerned that he had a set of principles that were dangerous for this country. It was only after his first term that I felt much better about him because I felt he had no principles at all. (laughs) Do you think that, that it's, it's actually more dangerous for someone to not have principles at all than to maybe have principles that they truly do believe in, as opposed to if they don't have any, well, then, you know, you don't even know what they're going to believe in. Who knows what they're going to actually do? Well, I think experience has shown that uh, the danger from those without principles is much slower, and it's a slow slide into bigger and bigger government. Uh, Certainly uh, someone whose uh, principles included the overt uh, racism or overt oppression or control of the people, it would be much slower. But it's amazing how we're able to drift. Uh, I'm always impressed. I was thinking, you know, we get concerned about North Korea. Like, well, why are we worried about being taken over by North Korea? What would happen if we were taken over by North Korea? And then you think, well, you know, they may... uh, put terrible taxes on us and build up the military and put checkpoints all over. And and uh, you start to thinking, you know, maybe that's kind of where we're at getting uh, without it. Someone recently uh, described to me uh, the, the TSA at the airport as being prisoner training. Take off your belt, take off your shoes, put your hands over your head. It's really impressive how far it's going. And again, it, it's not from people with the wrong principles. It's with people who just have no integrity. This is one of the things... Uh, about uh, 
these elections is that it's to the point where there's just no difference between the Democrats and the Republicans of any importance. So, Dr. Feldman, it's really interesting that you didn't actually even register to vote until the age of 50, but you are obviously always kind of politically in tune, politically engaged uh, intellectually. I guess you just didn't feel it was um, you know, appropriate to vote or appropriate to be active in politics, but that did change at some point, and, and this isn't even the first time you ran for public office. So why don't we just first start with that? What was the reason that you decided you know, to change your stance, I guess, about political involvement and, and register to vote and run for office? Well, I was in Ohio, and I, I was very concerned about government spending and uh, the fact that we have this debt that keeps growing and growing. And uh, I was impressed by uh, the uh, former statesman, George Voinovich, who announced his retirement because he felt he could not fight for a balanced budget to fight what he believed in and run for office at the same time because of the great uh, requirements in time and money that needed to be raised. So I was thinking there had to be some better way. But the problem was, even if you had a better way and could get in office, once you were in office, what would keep you from then turning into another opportunist? And that's when I found the Libertarian Party being the party of principle. The idea that a political party that doesn't run on big money or name recognition, but actually on its basic foundational principles. And uh, even if you don't hold to the details of that principle, just the fact that there are principles there that protect people from being attracted to compromise into dangerous areas. So this is where I felt that here is a party where I can get involved and I will not have to compromise. I will not have to lose my principles. I will not have to do what I have to do in order to do what I want to do. What are the some of the particular principles of the Libertarian Party that sort of attracted you, that told you, you know, this is the kind of beliefs I can line up with. This is the kind of thing I can actually, you know, campaign for and still maintain my integrity. Well, the basic principle, first off, is the idea of the non-aggression principle. And uh, this was started with the founding of the Libertarian Party and it was really from my impression is that there was really two aspects to it. It was sort of a foundational belief, but it was also a pragmatic attempt to show that the Libertarian Party, although it was against government, it was not a terrorist organization and that it did not promote uh, violent change. And the fact is the non-aggression principle is very easy to stand up for. It really, I see it as a variant of the a golden rule. Don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. So uh, nobody wants other people to uh, apply force to them, uh, to force them to do things they don't want to do. So don't force others. The problem that I have is that although I accept the non-aggression principle as a moral and ethical imperative, I don't see it as a full political principle because it tells you what not to do and not so much what you should do. It's not positive. It's essentially negative. So I've proposed a second principle, a political principle, a libertarian principle, to stand with the non-aggression principle that I call the positive empowerment principle. And that is the principle that guides us to maximize the power of all individuals to control themselves, their property, and their environment as long as they're not infringing on the rights of others. So this applies not just to members of the Libertarian Party, but to everybody. And this is one of the things I say is that everybody wants liberty for themselves. 
The difference for libertarians is that we want liberty for everybody. Would you say that that kind of uh, unique approach you're taking, is that what differentiates you the most from the other libertarian candidates? Because, I mean, typically from a lot of these guys, you hear sort of the same platitudes sort of in different ways and stuff I generally agree with. But, you know, it's the stuff you hear about small government, individual liberty. But you do kind of come in with a a sort of a, a different, a unique messaging. Yeah, my message is different, and, and it's actually you know different from your program in terms of thinking what liberty is, because liberty has two components. Freedom is one, and power is the other. Now, libertarians love to talk about freedom and limited government. We don't like talking about power, control, and fear. And these are what are used to control the population among uh, discrimination and taxation and war and uh, discrimination and all the other things that our government uh, promotes in order to control us. But as libertarians, if we want to be successful, we have to take control and we have to use the forces of power and control and fear against our oppressors. And it's something that... uh, Uh, People don't want to do, you know, they want to talk about freedom and liberty and everybody doing what they want to do. All these things are just unlimited positives. They're all win-win. But control is a zero-sum game. If individuals are going to have more control, that means government and corporations are going to have less control. And this is why I say is I don't feel that we have to fight for freedom if we fight for control. If we get to the point where everyone can control themselves and make decisions for themselves – then that doesn't leave any room for government to oppress us or for corporations to oppress us or for wealthy individuals to oppress us. So my goal is not so much to abolish the government, but to empower the individual. And that's the slogan of my campaign is not limited government, more freedom, but empower yourself. The idea that we need to have each person become empowered to control themselves. What exactly do you mean when you say, you know, we need to use that power, that fear, the same thing that many in the government often use to gain control and maintain control? What do you mean about using that against the oppressors? Can you kind of dig into that a little bit more? Uh, Sure. You know, well, it comes down, there was a uh, uh, adage that when the people fear the government, there's tyranny. When the government fears the people, there's liberty. Uh, But we're not speaking of violence. What is it that government really fears? It's losing control. And right now, government is controlled by uh, the wealthy special interests and the multinational corporations. And these are the same forces that also control our media. So what is the media afraid of? Well, the media is also afraid of losing control. And, you know, people talk about earned media. The libertarians need to learn to earn media. The media is against us. They're certainly against me because my goal is to empower the individual And the lifeblood of traditional media is to control the viewers, to influence them to spend money they don't have on things they don't need, um, and to have influence. So if we're empowering the individual, we are taking away from the the influence from the media. Now, there was a time where media was very, very powerful. The media was the message. It didn't even matter what you said on television. If you could be on television, that gave you lots and lots of power. But it's a new world. There's different uh, media. There's uh, a lot more media than anyone could pay attention to. So at this point, it's attention, which is the limiting factor. And we're entering an age where the message 
actually becomes the medium. If we have a message that resonates with people, it will spread virally, and then it'll be up to the traditional media to catch up. So this is uh, part of the reason why in my campaign, I didn't uh, make any great efforts to get in front of the media. You know, the Stossel Show had a uh, sponsored debate. They didn't go to one of the Libertarian Party debates. They wanted to have their own debate because Fox Business and John Stossel wanted to have control over the situation. They wanted to be able to control the message. They wanted to control who the candidates were. And I think that that's fine, but I don't want to empower that. So part of my message to the Libertarian Party is that if we can decide for ourselves and choose for ourselves and maximize our own power and do not let ourselves be controlled by the media, do not let ourselves be controlled by the old parties, that increases our power. And as we gain more power, that also puts fear in the old parties and puts fear in the media that allows us to have more control. I'm a physician, and one of the things we know in medicine is the idea of positive feedback, that if you can gain power, that allows you to instill fear in your oppressors, and that allows you to give more power, and this can build on itself. And I think this actually gives us a potential pathway to big success in the coming election. If we get to the point where if we don't uh, win the uh, the court case to be in the debates, they're not going to want us. Uh, the Democrats and Republicans are certainly not going to want to have a libertarian in the debate. But if we can put them in a position of fear of the consequences of excluding us by generating demand in the population, then that would lead to success. And one of the things I've always said is that I don't think that it's debates that lead to popularity and success. I think it's the message that resonates that builds the demand that leads to being included in the debates in the first place. Now, on the subject of kind of empowerment and empowering individuals, I mean, I think it's a great message. But in terms of actual policies that you would propose, perhaps as president, that's the office you're running for. I mean, what sort of policies, actual policies at that level could actually achieve what you're aiming to do, which is empower individuals? Excellent question. I would not be running for president if I didn't have a plan to move this country in the right direction, a plan that not only could be effective, but that would be implementable. So uh, I have uh, developed the what I call the balance and credit plan. It's two very modest changes in current fiscal and tax policy that actually reverses the process that got us into this in the first place. What has happened over the uh, decades is that one by one, things that used to be responsibilities of the individual, uh, security, education, health care, retirement, one by one, these have been identified by our government as something that they could take care of for us. And all they ask is, along with the responsibility, to have the funds to do that. And then after the government takes those responsibilities, the cost goes up and up, which increases taxation and debt and the size of government. So my plan is to turn that around and one by one to take those responsibilities back. And that's through just two changes in tax and fiscal policy. Number one is to balance the budget. And uh, people say, well, how do you balance the budget? Well, it's actually not hard. We're right now uh, 
because the Democrats and Republicans can't agree on any new programs, we're now only 13% over budget. So it would only require roughly 13% cuts to get us to a balanced budget. Now, how do you do those cuts? Well, there's many ways to do it. I like doing things the easy way. The uh, Democrats have already published well-vetted cuts uh, that have gone through the offices of management and budget that don't balance the budget, but they cut the deficit in half by cutting money that goes to special interests that support Republicans. Now, the Republicans have also published budgets that also cut the deficit in half by cutting money that goes to special interests that support Democrats. All we have to do is combine the Democrat cuts, the Republican cuts into one budget. You'll have a balanced budget, and there isn't a single cut that isn't already supported by half the government. These are not things that would hurt this country. And in fact, I think that it would actually be an improvement to the economy and a boon to the economy as we increase freedom by decreasing the resources of our government that are going to these special interests. That's interesting. So they've they've actually already sort of done some of the groundwork for you. They said, hey, look at these special interests here. And the other side says, hey, look at these special interests here. So we can just say, well, why should we be in favor of any of your special interests? Why don't we just get rid of them all? I love it. Unfortunately, the way they usually compromise is saying, okay, we'll give money for this if you give money for that. But by combining the cuts, we certainly can balance the budget. Now, how do I get Congress to do that? Well, my plan is on day one, I would say, here's my balanced budget. A lot of it looks familiar to you because you've already published it. You can go ahead and pass it and I'll sign it. You could pass another balanced budget and I will sign that. Or Congress, you can stop and think about it. But meanwhile, by executive order, I'm in charge of the day-to-day functioning of all government agencies. I'm going to put spending caps across the board on every government agency so that uh, we will limit government spending to available revenue so that during my administration, not a single dollar will be added to the debt. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a unilateral action, and uh, I don't think it would be constitutional unless it was necessary. But if it isn't necessary, it's required by the Constitution. It's the job of the president to keep the government going. We have a debt ceiling. We can't keep raising it so that it is within the president's power to say that there is a limit to what all the agencies can spend. And I would just say that this is similar, I would say, to uh, Ronald Reagan's unilateral government uh, hiring freeze, uh, which was challenged by the courts and uh, upheld as a legitimate use of presidential power. We just discussed half the plan. I'll just mention the other half. Sure, go ahead. Quickly. I call my plan the balancing credit plan. Uh, Half of it is balancing the budget. We've done that. The next step is changing all charitable tax deductions to 100% dollar-for-dollar tax credits so that if people want to support health care for the homeless or educational institutions or anything which is currently tax deductible, they would get a dollar-for-dollar back up to their entire tax liability. So what this does essentially is gives people control over every dollar they earn. And they don't have to send a dollar to the IRS if they don't want to. They could support their fellow man in any way they choose. And this has actually been part of the libertarian platform, uh, at least since uh, uh, the platform or the uh, issues for at least since 1980. So this real, that it really is not even uh, anything new from a libertarian standpoint. But when you combine the balanced budget with the tax credit, what this does is Every dollar that an individual donates to charity then becomes a dollar to cut the budget. So as people spend billions of dollars more on charitable organizations because it doesn't cost them anything, the government must cut the budget by an equivalent amount. But now it doesn't need to be done on the basis of politics and campaign contributions. It will be done on the basis of data because we know what people are donating money to. So if people are donating money to education, that means that we ought to be able to cut government expenses on education by an equivalent amount. 
So this is basically a way to shrink the government dramatically without decreasing any of the benefits and services to the people who need them. Interesting. And that really does go towards your idea of empowering individuals, empowering people to choose the way that they help people and say, you know what? I don't want to send the government a dime. I don't think they're doing things in the right way. So I can make this decision to send my money to charities or other people that I believe are actually going to use that money properly. So I I think that's a fantastic idea. Well, Dr. Feldman, we're going to get some more of your thoughts on your campaign platform in a minute. But first, on the subject of empowering people, there isn't much more that's empowering than taking charge of your own health care, which you can do with the help of our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I purchased my own health insurance. So personally, I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare. My deductible more than doubled, my premium shot through the roof, and I'm just sitting here thinking, what am I actually getting for this? I'm a healthy guy. I don't go to the doctor. I really hadn't even been to a doctor for any major medical problem in years and years and years. So why would I spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month and then have to spend six or $8,000 in deductibles before I even see a dime of coverage for my health care? It just didn't add up. And it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up for most of us. But luckily, there is an alternative out there now. It's an alternative known as health sharing. And health sharing is simply awesome. (laughs) I've gotten paid for every single medical bill I've submitted in full, 100%. This is not a joke. After I spend $500... I get everything else back. And our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch. They'll do all the work for you. They will find your doctors. They will set appointments for you. They'll provide you 24-7 access to doctors via Skype so you don't even need to go to a doctor or pay a dime half the time. Health Excellence Select is truly revolutionary and you guys are doing yourselves a disservice if you do not look into this amazing alternative to your standard corporatized Obamacare health insurance. You can learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com health or if you're ready to sign up, you can directly call my representative Jeff Cantor at 440-283-6849. Tell him Mark from Lions of Liberty sent you. Another thing I want to touch on is one of your slogans here, uh, that votes not for sale. And uh, an interesting aspect of that as part of your campaign is that you refuse to accept any donations over $5. So can you just first say why that is and then you know how that uh, applies to your slogan, votes not for sale, and then the overall issue of campaign finance, which is obviously a huge issue right now? Well, just to, to clarify a little bit, it's not total donations. It's donations to my campaign in particular. On my right. website, if people want to donate more than $5, I direct them to the Libertarian Party, uh, which is happy to accept the donations for the purposes of the political party. Gotcha. But as a candidate, I limit what people can donate to me to $5 for a reason. I feel that no matter what candidates say, they will always represent – most their biggest donors because that's what pays the campaign bills. So I want to represent the people who can only donate $5 so that any person who can donate $5 becomes tied for the biggest donor in my campaign. Now, people say, well, you're limiting what you can raise. Well, not really. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I think, uh, had well over 20 million donations, and I think his average was about $20 or so. If I got uh, even uh, 1 million uh, donations of $5, that would be far more than I think any uh, libertarian candidate has ever raised in the past. Now, uh, Dr. Feldman, something else interesting that I saw in your campaign uh, not that long ago is you actually posted a blog post asking Kanye West to be your vice presidential running mate. So can you describe why you wrote that post? I mean, is it in jest? Are you serious about it? Was there any response? Detail that for us. Well, let me start with an update. Kanye sucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably not going to happen. 
No, no. Basically, what this started was from the uh, Video Music Awards, Kanye made a speech where he announced that he wanted to run for president in 2020. And he certainly has the substantial name recognition uh, to do that. However, beyond that, when you listen to his message, why did he want to run for president? Because he wanted to teach children not to hate. He wanted to teach uh, children that they could make something of themselves. He wanted to fight the establishment. Uh, Basically, he had a message of empowerment. And the way I look at it is that the path to success for the Libertarian Party is not going to be with dissatisfied Democrats or Republicans. In 2012, uh, Barack Obama won with 66 million votes. Romney had 61 million votes. The best candidate, Gary Johnson, got 1 million votes. But there were nearly 100 million people who could have voted but did not vote. And those are the people I want to reach out to. And, uh, you know, as a... uh, Middle-aged uh, Jewish physician in Cleveland, Ohio. There's a limit to uh, you know what I may be able to do. So, if there was someone who had a message of empowerment who could reach those people and who would uphold our basic foundational libertarian principles, I think that I couldn't think of a better candidate. Uh, however, the interesting thing was, although I went through many. Uh, private and public channels, uh, including getting a lot of support from uh, some of the uh, uh, people uh, pretty high up on the fan sites. I got no message at all from Kanye West. And I suspect it's uh, the reason why uh, the libertarian gets, uh, again, it's it's because we are basically media kryptonite, that it's not just that the media doesn't pay attention to us, our fundamental drive to empower the individual is against what the media wants to do. So that people who want to control the population, no matter what they say, they may say they want to empower, but they don't. You know, similarly, uh, basically, all the recent Democrats and Republicans have been saying how terrible it is that we have uh, this disparity of wealth with this uh, uh, very wealthy uh, top 1% and then the, the bottom 50% who have so much poverty. But the fact is, there are two kinds of people who depend on big government, the very, very poor and the very, very rich. So it's in our government's benefit to have this great disparity of wealth because that makes it easier to grow government. And again, this goes back to speaking that our politicians are liars and uh, you cannot tell what their positions, what their principles are by listening to what they say. So, uh, you know, Kanye West, yeah, he may say a lot of things, but you really don't know whether he means them or not. But the fact is, I think that, uh, as I said, if if you read my original thing, I said that I'm working on the assumption that I'm believing what he said. But if he's not serious, I'm not serious. And uh, I haven't seen any indication at all that uh, Kanye West has any interest in politics and certainly whether he would accept any libertarian principles. So uh, we come back to the conclusion that Kanye sucks. (laughs) <laughs> but is the offer still out there then if he happens to uh, you know decide he does actually line up with some of your principles and really wants to do this thing? Kanye, if you're tuning in and you pay your dues and join the Libertarian Party and are willing to accept the non-aggression principle and show up in Orlando, I think that we would give you serious consideration, but not necessarily more than other candidates. That paying the dues part might be the clincher because I heard he's having some financial difficulties. So we'll. we'll uh, well, yeah, <laughs> it depends on how you look. A lot of it is, you know, investment in his own companies rather than uh, than true debt. 
Dr. Feldman, we've talked a lot about what you plan to do sort of uh, domestically with tax policy and that sort of thing. But I'm curious, what is your view on foreign policy, how we should interact with other nations, uh, if we should provide foreign aid at all? What's your take on all that? Yes. Well, there's two kinds of foreign aid, the foreign aid that individuals give to other countries and the foreign aid the government gives it to countries. And actually today, far more government aid is given by individual citizens of the United States than by the government of the United States. People supporting their families, people supporting organizations overseas far outweighs what our, our government. I think it's, it's two to one. However, government aid has particular problems to it. As it's been said, uh, federal government aid is basically money that's taken from poor people in a rich country and given to rich people in poor countries. There's no reason for foreign aid. And uh, I tell people that I am personally a major supporter of the state of Israel. I've been a, a friend of the Israeli Defense Forces. And this in itself would be a very long discussion. However, the amount of foreign aid that goes to Israel should be zero. I'm against all foreign aid, and I think foreign aid to Israel is a fantastic place to start. And the foreign aid to Israel isn't even really foreign aid because 70% of the money that goes to Israel is required to be spent in the United States on the U.S. military industrial industries. And uh, what it comes down to is there was a time when our military industries manufactured weapons to support our war efforts. And today we are manufacturing war efforts to support our military industries. My answer is to end it, end all the wars. And uh, we need to protect our homeland, uh, which is where we should bring our forces. There's no reason to have the hundreds and hundreds of bases that we have overseas. People ask me, what is my criteria to send forces to intervene in a foreign nation? I would say that uh, I would have the same humanitarian criteria for intervening in other nations as I would have for other nations, military forces to intervene within the United States of America. I'm sure that uh, North Korea and uh, Russia would have been happy to go to uh, Baltimore, Maryland or to Ferguson to help with the terrible civil rights oppression that was going on in those areas. But it's not right. We don't want them. We don't need them. And other uh, nations don't want and need us there. We need to bring our forces home. All right, Dr. Feldman. Well, I, you certainly bring, I think, uh, a unique flavor to this libertarian race. And uh, while I think a, a lot, at the end of the day, a lot of your beliefs might line up uh, with most of the other candidates on many things, you do come at things in a really a different way. And it is a refreshing perspective. I can tell just by following you on social media that you're having a lot of fun with this and that, uh, you know, while you do take your ideas seriously, you don't maybe take yourself too seriously in, in a good way. So uh, I really do appreciate the kind of perspective that you come in here with. And uh, before I let you go, why don't you just give everybody any libertarians that might be listening. I know there are potential actual delegates that may be listening right now. So why don't you give your final pitch to libertarians of just why they should consider choosing you as the nominee for president? We need to empower ourselves. We need to take control of the process. We can't let the major parties determine who our candidates are. We cannot allow the media to choose our candidate. We need to do it. And I can represent the Libertarian Party because I can empower each individual. I value every Libertarian from the most abolitionist anarchist to the most pragmatic Rand Paul supporter. They're all Libertarians. We're a coalition, not a cult. We're all working in the same direction. Uh, let's pull together and succeed. Dr. Mark Allen Feldman, keep up the great work and good luck with the campaign. Thank you. Take care, Mark. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my discussion today with Dr. Mark Allen Feldman, a guy who's 
taking an interesting stance and an interesting point of view on libertarian ideas and on running a libertarian presidential campaign. But frankly, I, I think he's just another interesting voice. And I've I've done my best to reach out to a lot of the voices in the Libertarian Party who are running for president. I'm also going to be featuring some people running for some other offices soon. We're going to have a vice presidential candidate. We're going to have a candidate for the national chairmanship because, as many of you guys know, the Libertarian Party convention is coming towards the end of the month over Memorial Day weekend. And that's where not not only the president will be decided, but as also the Libertarian Party platform and a lot of other positions, such as the vice president, the chair, uh, you name it. This is where they figure everything else out. So we're going to try to get a lot of these people a little bit of airtime to sort of express their views and and try to get it out there because uh, this is the kind of audience I want to speak to. And this is the kind of audience I want to engage with, the people that are politically active, because I think we all need to be politically active, even if our political activism is just doing what I'm doing and sitting down with a microphone and having conversations about the ideas of liberty because everything we do advances this discussion. And Dr. Mark Allen Feldman is another guy who is doing his own thing to advance this discussion in his own very unique way. And if you don't believe that, we're going to kind of close the show on my way out uh, with a little rap that he did. Somebody out there on, on the wonderful internet took this rap and put a little beat to it. And uh, it's just a really, uh, really fun little speech that he gives. So we're going to leave you with that on the way out. Until then, if you want to communicate with us about these interviews, give us suggestions for future guests, pass along questions for guests, any of that great stuff, we'd like to invite you to join the conversation over in our private Facebook group. That's the Lions of Liberty Forum. You just type that Lions of Liberty Forum into your little search bar on Facebook. We'll, of course, also link to it at the show notes for today's show over at lionsofliberty.com slash 207. Of course, if you're a fan of the show, you got to hit that subscribe button, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Stitcher Radio. That's how we can really help grow this show and get it in front of more people. Also, if you can leave us a five-star rating and a great review in those platforms, that's just another way you can very easily help this program grow and keep advancing the ideas of liberty with us. Until next week, guys, and next week, I'm going to have a very special debate or perhaps a discussion, if you will. It's going to be a civil discussion featuring surrogates or advocates for some of the libertarian candidates. And it'll be featuring some people that have been on this show before. I'll have Judd Weiss stepping in to speak on behalf of John McAfee, as well as a few first-timers representing other candidates. So it's sure to be a lively and fun and good-spirited discussion about the libertarian candidates. Until next time, folks, live long and live free. I'm Mark Allen Feldman. I'm an Ohio resident. I'm telling you why I'm running for president. I'm getting old, but I'm still bold. I got no fear because my blood runs cold. I'm never bought and I'll never get sold. My answers were slaves too. That's why I can represent you because I'm a libertarian Jew. Republicans and Democrats are whack. They spend billions of dollars just to attack. We've been slaves and we're not going back. Libertarians are fresh and dope. We don't care who you marry, what you carry, or what you smoke. So give a libertarian your vote. Because billionaires will never care for a country that's broke. They say you have to flash the cash to make a splash. They promise you everything but dine and dash. I don't buy it and I won't try it. The government's too fat, let's put it on a diet. The bureaucracy's supposed to work for us. They promised all the pork for us, but they don't do squat for us. No more oppression or deep depression, no apologies and no confessions. A time of defiance and self-reliance. They think we're small, but we're like giants. We may lose, but before we die, we gotta break these chains and fly. Poor education, that's humiliation, discrimination, and brutalization. 
Inflation and taxation bring inner city evacuation, dislocation, stagnation, and mass incarceration, and most welfare is for the corporations. These are the 10 plagues that affect our nation. John F. Kennedy had the remedy till he was killed by the enemy. The assassinations rocked our nation, started terrible conflagration. But he hadn't lied when he prophesied, because what he said was simply incredible. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. Thank you, Doctor.